This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Ward, who has covered Oregon State Athletics since 2013. Thanks for joining me again, everybody. I'm Josh Warden here in the Beaver Tales podcast, where I chat with former Oregon State student-athletes for a Where Are They Now conversation. Happy to bring you some OSU content. My goal is ultimately to be the next voice of the Beavers when Mike Parker retires 25 years from now, or whenever that may be. But I've been happy to work with Mike at times in my career and produce this content independently as well and stay involved in Oregon State sports and today Will Seymour joins me. Will is a pretty well-known guy around Oregon State circles partly if you just follow Oregon State soccer or even just broader. I mean a lot of the student athletes at least in his era pretty good friends with Will. A couple other guys I've had on this podcast brought him up in particular. In fact when I had Roberto Nelson on an episode a couple of weeks ago, Roberto was wearing a Will Seymour jersey while I talked to him during that whole conversation. So uh, Roberto mentioned him, Daniel Gomez ultimately connected me with Will, and uh, it was fun to chat with him. It, it was kind of perfect because I'm recording this on the 4th of July, and I had the conversation just a few days ago on Friday with Will. Will is actually an English native. Well, he was born in America, but then kind of grew up in England and then spent another part of his childhood back in America and kind of alternated back and forth between the two. So what better 4th of July weekend episode to have than a guy who is both from America and the nation that America seceded from. I suppose that's appropriate. I don't know. But we do talk about his time now in Ireland. He actually plays for the Premier Division League. He plays for the Sligo Rovers, which is in the top league in Ireland. So he's made a pretty high level of soccer. He's bounced around America before ending up in Ireland. He was drafted in the third round of the MLS Super Draft in 2014 by FC Dallas. He's appeared for FC Cincinnati. He went up to Vancouver, to Reno, played for Lane United. So went all over America, Canada, now Ireland. And it's fun to chat with him, not just about his career, but just kind of the nature of soccer and changing teams and how that all works out, how to prepare for the next stage of life. But you'll hear all that in this discussion. So let's just jump right in. Will Seymour, who was a three-time all-conference player at Oregon State, finishing his career six years ago, now makes his debut on the Beaver Tales podcast. Enjoy this episode, everybody. All right, well, it is Friday afternoon for me, Friday evening for you, Will, coming yeah. over from Ireland. I think it's 9 o'clock over there, so thanks for joining me on a yeah. late Friday evening for you. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's uh, It doesn't feel that late because, like, you know, it's still pretty bright here. Like, it stays bright till like, 1030, so it kind of messes with your body clock a little bit. But, yeah, no, I'm doing well, man. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks. It'll be a couple of international guests I've had so far, but nobody from Ireland yet. I've had Russia, Australia, Germany, but the first English now now about back over to Ireland now. So you just yeah. arrived a couple of days ago. So how how has it been coming back to Ireland, and what have you been up to? Um, yeah, no, it, it was it was good. It was like I was at my parents back in the UK, so the flight was pretty easy. You know, so I think it's like an hour flight, and then. Uh, out to Sligo it's like right on the coast like northwest of Ireland so it's probably about it was about an hour from the airport so it was a pretty easy transition and like the club stored like all of our furniture and all that kind of stuff so it was it was pretty smooth coming back but um yeah you know I've been back for a few days now just uh unpacking with with the missus and uh I've started doing sessions with the team now like by myself but um trying to keep busy you know it's been weird like not doing anything for uh, like three three and a half months or whatever it was and then now it's like all right time to come back and go back to work kind of thing 
Yeah. So how did you first get in the news? Hey, we're, we're playing again. This whole wait is over. How did you hear that? And what's kind of the developing plan on how you're going to do that? Um, so like when it was the whole like COVID, like in Europe, not in the States, but like when it was kind of escalating in Europe and stuff, I think it was about uh, March time. So we'd already played four games in the season. So it was still pretty early. And then, you know, you're hearing on the news and you're kind of like, oh man, like, all right, this is pretty bad. It's like, oh, but it's not going to get that bad in Ireland. And then it's kind of, you know, it reaches like Europe and then it reaches the UK. And then you're like, oh man, like it actually could get pretty bad here. So we, um, we played a game and then they shut everything down here. Like I, the Irish government was pretty good because they were like, as soon as it got to the UK, they were like, all right, we're going to close the borders and stuff like that. So we stopped training and, and me and the missus, like um, we were in Ireland for about a week. And then the club told us about like, they're like, you know, there's a chance that if you don't leave now to go home because the league's getting suspended, you might get stuck here because the Irish government's closing the airports and stuff. So we just were like, all right, we'll go home. And, you know, we were lucky that my parents live in England, so it was close. And uh, But it was, it was like a developing situation, you know, like every few weeks because obviously, you know, you know, like with all different kinds of sports, the negotiation between like the players' unions and the governments and the leagues and all that kind of stuff, like it was something that was going on throughout the – the crisis and stuff so it was you know every week or a few days we'd hear an update and a, a date and it would change and then um it was about you know a few weeks ago they were like all right this is happening so we had to get on a meeting with players union and all that kind of stuff and they basically told us what's going to happen how's it going to come back with testing and all that kind of stuff so um yeah it was, it was honestly it was a pretty quick turnaround you know like we were I mean, my, my missus was working at, from home throughout the whole thing but I I basically had a three-month vacation so okay. I was like it kind of came a bit fast and stuff, but um, yeah, no, they just were like, you know, we're going to get you back in and slowly start getting guys back in and yada, yada. But we're starting back up on the 31st of July. So um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like a slow process, but the actual transition of coming back was pretty fast. So do they have much of a plan in place for once you start playing at the end of this month for, you know, I'm assuming probably no or limited fans and you have to get tested before each game. Is there a bubble where you can't really interact with other people in between matches and the travel and what venues? I mean, all, all those sorts of stuff. Maybe that hasn't all been decided, but what, what are you hearing about how at least the uh, league in Ireland is doing it? Yeah, so the nice thing about Ireland is that in terms of a country, they handled it pretty well and they didn't have as many cases as, you know, other hotspots around Europe. So you know, getting back into Sligo. I mean, I think, you know, I haven't been to Dublin. I'd imagine Dublin is probably a little bit different because it's, it's the most populous city. But Sligo is a city, I think they had maybe 100 cases here max. So there are people around town wearing masks and stuff. But getting back to training, like right now, a lot of the guys who are Irish or from Ireland, they're just, you know, it's kind of back to normal. Everyone's training like normal and this and that. We still can't use like the facilities. You know, we can't use the, the locker room. We kind of just show up in the car park and then, you know, we. Uh, train go home shower all that stuff but I think they're gonna start to like open it like you know different like in the states too like with different phases uh stuff like that I think we haven't really heard stuff about like the fans and stuff I mean that's something I think they're trying to figure out still they're they're talking about trying to set up like a tv like streaming deal so the clubs can still make money from the games because like uh it's different in in like like football and like in Europe and like the rest of the world as opposed to America where like there's a lot of money in the sport but like the actual clubs may not be the richest so they make money from the gate 
you know, from the attendance every week, that's, that's their main source of income. So I think that's just the big thing that they're trying to figure out. So I, I, I have no idea in terms of like, you know, we've heard different ideas and stuff, but it would be strange playing in front of no fans. But I mean, if that's what is safest for everybody, or if they can do it, like you said, like with limited seating, then I'd imagine they'll go with that. But I mean, we hear different things, but nothing's like solid yet. So. Right. I think you had just signed with Sligo, I think just in December, right? It's about seven months ago. So with the season really only getting started right before you hadn't had too much experience yet, but what's your role on the team that you figure out how you're fitting into the team in the, in the short span that you've actually been with the club? Yeah, no, I mean, it's nice for me because I'm 28 now and, you know, I maybe class myself as a veteran or, or someone that's been around playing pro for long enough where like, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, what you don't have to worry too much about fitting in. Obviously you want to make a good impression, but you know, when you get, kind of older and you've been playing it's more about you know if you go and you do your job on the team you're going to fit in and all the other stuff will kind of come along with that so I mean it's great I mean the team chemistry here is great I mean you know Irish people have great bands like the jokes and all that kind of stuff so and being you know I think I'm one of three foreign guys I think it's me a Finnish guy and then a guy from New Zealand you know it, they they've been great they've they've you know helped us join in and stuff like that so it's good and I mean like um as a player you know like it's great because if the chemistry is better, then, you know, you are always going to play better on the field and, you know, you know, those guys have your back and stuff. But um, yeah, it's definitely just more of the, the kind of, you know, you, if you come in and you do your job and you kind of, you know, you got to be better than everybody else and you kind of get respect that way kind of thing and everything else will follow too. So. Do you usually introduce yourself as an American or say you're from England? Um, well, I'll say like, it's, it's weird, honestly, because usually like, uh, wherever I'm going, the team or the media in that place I'm going does it for me. So, like, for example, when I was playing in America, like pro in America, I was always the Englishman. Mm -hmm. Like, they'd say, like, you know, we signed Englishman this or the English, English midfielder is this. But then, like, when I've played back here, if I come back here, I'm always the American. <laughs> so, like, when they signed me here, you know, and it was in the papers and on TV, it was like, you know, signed American, Will Seymour. So, it's like, I kind of just, I'll tell people I'm American and English kind of thing, but Irish people don't take too much fancy to English people. So I just said I was American kind of thing. So either one works. How, how did you meet the missus, as you say? Oh, yes. The missus or the soon to be wife. Um, I met her at Oregon State, actually. Uh, wow. Yeah, we, um, we met, <laughs> we met at a house party, actually. Uh, <laughs> It was on, I think it was like 11th in Jefferson, 11th in Harrison. Was, oh, those townhouses kind of over by like SAE and stuff. And it was like, a, I think it was like an athlete party or something like that. And it was a, a girl, actually, it was one of my friends, Haley Clark. She was, a, she was the ex-volleyball player with her house. And uh, she just was throwing like a party and stuff. And um, yeah, I went over there and I met her. And then uh, I actually left the party and I didn't even get her name or number. And then I actually creepily stalked her on Facebook. And that's how I <laughs> How did you find her on Facebook if you didn't even know her name? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, with like Corvallis and Oregon State, it's pretty small. Like, you know, if you just ask around and stuff, like, it's like, you know, oh, who, who is, you know, you kind of, who's your friend or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, word travels fast. So I just kind of asked Haley and asked a bunch of other people and was like, oh, like, do you know, who's that girl? Like, you know, and then that's how I got her name. And then I messaged her and she'll always that, you know, she was the one that, initiated everything and stuff but i was like 
did my thing in Mac on it. But uh, it was Oregon State. It was just it was collegey, and I just found it through Facebook and stuff. So. Yeah, and now she kind of traveled with you to all your stops because you've gone a lot of places. I mean, you got Lane United, Vancouver, Reno, overseas now in Ireland. So has she kind of traveled with you to all those stops, or how has that worked out? Um, yeah, no. So <clears throat> when we were first dating, uh, like, so uh, I met her. It was and uh, junior end of junior year. Don't tell her if I if I can't remember because she'll get mad. But it was you know we were still kind of. A new relationship so my first couple of years in vancouver um we just did long distance because uh she she graduated too and she got a job in portland and then she worked in seattle so she would just kind of drive up every um every couple of weekends few weekends and then when i made the move to cincy is when we decided to like move in together and then ever since then she, we've kind of she's just traveled with me and stuff so um you know she's making a big sacrifice and you know i'm always grateful for that because you know it's not easy to have to unfortunately in the sports world you know you you might have to pack up every year or so and even like when I was in Cincy I actually got loaned out of Cincy and I had to go play in Reno so she was in Cincy for three months by herself and I was had to go back to Reno and it, it, you know it's it's one of the things that I think we kind of spoke about when we first started dating and stuff but you know she's been she's been unreal she's been a trooper and you know she's got my back so it's been great having someone like that to kind of ride with me everywhere and stuff so yeah and you got engaged too recently yes yes in reno the wedding is in december i mean with everything going on we don't know but we're planning on it so yeah we're kind of in the midst of planning that i say where you know she's planning it and i'm just kind of doing whatever she wants me to do so <laughs> that's that's a good fiance so <laughs> yeah uh, the the loan was one of the interesting things i mean that's it's not uncommon in soccer obviously but still the experience even though it's a typical thing clubs just loan players out it, it's a funny phrase because it just seems so objective of yeah we just yeah. loan this player they play for another team they'll come back it's on a contract and all that so being someone who you know your club leased you out you play for a few months you come back what was that experience like to have a contract with one team, but you're still going to go back, but you're with these teammates that you know there's an end to date on that. I mean, take me through what that experience was like. Yeah, no, I mean, that, especially like, especially that period of my career, like that was a huge um, learning experience for me because I was 20, 23 or 24. And like at the time, you know, since we were still USL before they made the jump to MLS. So it was, there was a lot of hype around the club. There's a lot of expectation and pressure. And I was, kind of in that phase where I was you know I was going in and I was trying I was looking to be a starter and stuff and to be fair on that team that that squad they assembled that year it was you know it was a lot of big time players so it was always going to be tough for me but <clears throat> yeah it's just one of those things really like and if you ask any football or any professional soccer player like it happens all the time and I mean any athlete really like you know you're going to fall out with coaches or you're going to fall out of favor and you know unfortunately there are some parts of the game that like are just not nice, you know, and unfortunately, you know, they kind of were just trying to get me out of there so they could bring in some, like another player that they liked. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was, you know, obviously I was bitter and mad and stuff because it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing just as well. Or I'm trying just as hard, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's just something that, you know, I had to go through and I learned and it was always a silver lining because then I earned a contract with Reno the next year and we had a great season and stuff and I was a starter. So it's like, it's just one of those things. It's like, you kind of, look back I can look back now and be like you know I learned a lot of lessons about 
maybe not the game as of you know soccer but just the professional side of the game you know the business side and stuff so um yeah i mean like i said like at the time I, I hated it and it was tough for me because you know obviously i had to leave amber my mom was actually in cincy coming mm-hmm. to visit wanted to loan me out so they were like you know sorry you gotta go kind of like all this stuff and it was really rough at the time and you know as a player to be honest like when i was in reno i didn't want to be there and you know, I, it didn't, it didn't take away from the fact that, you know, you still have to be a professional and you have to turn up to your work every day and give max effort. And that's not who I am. But, you know, obviously when I go back, I was staying in a hotel. I didn't want to talk. I didn't really know anyone on the team. I just kind of wanted to be in my own space and then I'll do these three months and I'll go back. And, but, um, you kind of, yeah, you just learn about yourself and you're like, you know, cause those three months are like, okay, well, what could I have done better as a player? You know, obviously I can be as mad as I want as a coach in the club of they don't rate me, but it's like, for me as a person, it's like, okay, well, I need to look at myself and like what I could have done better as a player. Or maybe I didn't play as well as I thought I should have. Or So it, it was good. You know, it's like one of those things that's, it's bittersweet. Like it, it kind of sucked in terms of like logistics and life, but as a player, like, you know, I always look back at that and I'm kind of grateful for the lessons I learned from that whole move and, and kind of that kind of stuff. So it does seem one of the difficult parts about loaning in particular, especially with a situation like yours, your mom is there, you got your, you know, soon, your soon to be fiance and then wife who is there, you got to leave them. And it did, although you probably challenge yourself to play well, you had to tell yourself, look, I got to do this because I'm a yeah. soccer player, not because I'm really passionate about these teammates or no, I'm going to be on this team for five years. So if you were like a GM or, you know, the owner of a club and you were in charge of making these contracts, talking with other clubs about possible loans or, or whatever it may be, what would you do in those situations? Would you loan players out less because it puts them through those situations? Or maybe that's the sort of things players need because it seemed like you did learn a lot and, and became a better person and athlete because of it. So what would you do? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, you talk to any player and they're always going to be like, oh, well, you know, if I was a coach, I'd do this. Or if... I think the tough part is, is that as much as a play, like as, as my, I can only speak for myself, but like as much as it, as it, you know, was crappy at the time and it sucked, like, like you said, like I, I came out for it better, worse for wear because I earned a contract. I got to kick on my career a little bit more. Like I became a starter. I became, you know, recognized in USL and stuff, but Unfortunately, I say unfortunately, but it's just kind of one of those parts of the game. You know, when you hear people talk about like, oh, it's part of the game. Like, it's just one of those things that has to happen because as a GM and especially in Cincy's circumstance at that time, like, you know, they're about to go MLS. They wanted to bring in some MLS talent. Like maybe they needed to sell more jerseys or create hype around the club. They needed midfielders, like even though that team was stacked. But I think the difference is, is I'm not mad at, the fact that I got loaned out it's just sometimes the circumstances around it like there's a way to do it you, you know in my situation I don't think I was treated the best way and I was true I you know there are players that get treated way worse and like you know if you talk to any professional football that's played for a long time they've gone through some stuff that you're just like how is that allowed to happen kind of thing so like you know as much as I didn't like it like it's just kind of you know, there's a right way to do it. Like if the club would have said to me, if they would have just been like open and said like, you know, we don't want you and we think you can get more, you know, then I'd be like, yeah, you know, that sucks. It still sucks, but I understand that. And then I could acknowledge quicker to myself, you know, that I need to play better. But, you know, if I was a GM 
kind of doing those moves and those trades, like I think I would do the same thing. Like, you, you know, sometimes you have to move players on or like, in a, like you said, with a loan, like um, it's kind of like a win-win for the club because they can bring you back and they can have a look at you at the end of the year. So I think it's something that's vital for the sport and it's just normal. It's part of the game. But sometimes I think you, you just, you go about it better. You know, maybe you, take someone to the side and you explain to them because I think, you know, not all players are just like, they're not me, you know, they're, they're, like you said, they're people too. And they'll understand if you explain to them kind of thing. So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's, I wouldn't really change anything about the actual loans, but it, it just, you know, I might be a better, better people person about it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, those are the, sometimes it's funny that the situations, that are most unfortunate and say, ah, I wouldn't have done this end up being the one that actually was the best yeah. for you because it puts you through yeah. that situation to improve. But through all of that path, it brought you indirectly to Sligo and you played for a number of different teams. Yeah. It's almost hard to keep track, but like you yeah. said, Cincinnati and drafted by Dallas and playing for Reno, playing in Vancouver, playing for Lane United, of course, back to Oregon state at OSU. Um, and then over internationally in Sligo, that's the the premier division in Ireland. And obviously every country is different in terms of, you know, La Liga versus English Premier League versus yeah. Ireland versus America. I mean, every, every league is different, but how would you compare the level of soccer in your division now with the team Sligo is playing compared to where you have played before that in your career and wherever you'd like, you know, whatever your aspirations are going forward, where, where do you feel your club uh, fits into that right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this division, like this league is, I, I mean, personally, in my opinion, like, I think it's a step up from the USL, like, um, but, you know, like, it's like with everywhere, it's, it's kind of a, always a difficult question because of, you know, there are players in the Irish league that could play like championship in England or they could play MLS in, in America, but it's like, it's just more, it's more the player as opposed to the team. Cause like, if you took a team, because I think over here, especially being in Europe, like it's just way rougher. Like the physicality is is a is a completely different thing. Like you can be physical in the states and stuff, but like growing up in England and growing up playing non-league, like some of the tackles that are normal to me are like yellows and reds in America. And I remember like I'm <laughs> I remember my um my first game at Oregon State freshman year or my first year, I got two red cards back to back because <laughs> I like tackled a guy that was normal in um, England or America that might have been or England that might have been a yellow or like a, a, a just a hard foul and here they were like straight red <laughs> so like it's just like little differences so I think over here like the physicality and some of the tackles that they let go are like and I think the intensity here is it's just way more it's everyone presses it's 100 miles an hour all the time like there are some teams that try and play more possession style I think in America more teams try to do the possession style then I think in the States, like they just, they don't value being good defensively as much as they do attacking wise. Like a lot of MLS teams and US team, USL teams are all about offense. Whereas like here, a lot of teams, like they may not be the best going forward, but they're just so good defensively and they're just rough and they're gritty. And like, it's, it's different. And I like it because it's like, you know, in America, sometimes you get a little more time on the ball in terms of like teams will respect you trying to play out and you'll get pressed, but you have a bit more time. Whereas, like, over here, if you take more than, like, one or two touches, like, you're getting absolutely cleaned out. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, that's all game. Because then they know it's, like, oh, this guy's taking too long on the ball, like, and everyone would do it to you kind of thing. So I think 
Um, but no, I mean, over here, I think the athleticism is probably not the same as it is in America because, you know, it's America. Like they value like big, strong, fast guys. But I think just because of it's a European league, you know, people know the game. You have smarter players, you know, more wily players, stuff, people that know how to work a system and, and kind of play different positions. And it's just, they're just craftier, I guess. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a step up and I've, I mean, more physical and stuff and I've got the bruises to show it and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I'm enjoying it. Cause it's, you know, just reminds me of when I was playing like non-league and lower league when I was younger in England. So. Right. No, you've gotten to a high level and, and congratulations on making to that division, everything that's impressive. And that's a perfect story to, to show, you know, come to Oregon State, get a couple red cards. And that if that if you didn't already know the difference and you found yeah. it out at that point, do you think that difference in the style of play from English soccer or European in general compared to America, especially in college, do you think that's initiated by the referees where they call it closer in America and then the players figure out how to play within that? Or is it initiated by the players who are rougher in England and then the referees officiate more loosely because the players are just that sort of style? I mean, maybe it's a chicken and the egg situation, but what's, who initiates that? I think, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, like you said, kind of chicken and the egg. I, I would say maybe more of how the physicality over here is just you know, like the tackles and, you know, some of the stuff that goes on in the refs are just a bit more like, you know, it's, it's like the old thing, like in America, like if you tackle someone first fight, like there's always an old adage, especially in England and Ireland, Scotland or whatever, you always get a free one at the start of the game. Like you always get to hit someone for free or just take someone out for free and the ref will be like, all right, like, you know what I mean? That's your last warning kind yeah. of thing. Like America, like some of the stuff I've been like yellow carded for and booked for in America I, to this day, I'm just like, I, that's not even a foul. <laughs> like, and I think if you ask a lot of guys, like in the USL, there's quite a few Irish guys and English guys that they come over and they realize they have to adapt how they play in the States because they're not going to get away with the kind of stuff and the tackles and, and the physicality and that kind of stuff in the States kind of thing. So I think it's, it's probably more initiated by guys coming from England or, or they've brought up in that culture and then coming over to America where, you know, maybe soccer is not the only sport that everyone plays and it's not the be all end all and that kind of stuff. So I think, um, yeah, I would say it's probably more of the culture here and stuff where it's, you know, football is, that's the sport. It's the only sport. I mean, you got rugby, but it's like, you know, people just die on the pitch over here. Whereas in the States, it's more of, um, it's just not the culture, I guess. So. Right. When you came to Oregon State, and like you said, it was a transition to learn the style of soccer, and, you're, and you transitioned pretty well. Your very first match at OSU, you scored a goal, the first goal the team scored that season. So your career started out at a high point, and you finished. I got a red card. <laughs> you got a red card in that game too? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's an interesting locker room to be in afterwards, score a goal, and then I don't know what Steve Simmons said after that one. But um you start out with that and then you finish your career on a high point of, I mean, it was the program's most successful season ever. You win an NCAA tournament game that the team had never done that before. Uh, that was 2014. What do you remember about the elation of Jordan Jones scoring a goal, beating Denver one nil and advancing in, in the NCAA tournament, something OSU had never done before? Um, well, I mean, like that game obviously was like, that was unreal, you know, to be, cause I mean, it, 
for me, like, I didn't really understand the history of the program. You know, like, I, you kind of get told about past players like Danny Mwanga, all these guys like Alan Gordon, Robbie Finley and stuff. And, you know, like, oh, man, some good players play. But you don't really understand, like, the whole tournament and, like, how long it's been. And um, so when we won that game, you know, that was huge. And I think it was, it was a perfect storm that year because I, I would like to give credit to, like, the team that year because that year – the, just the locker room and the culture we had and the leaders we had, like myself, Kyrie Shelton, Brendan Anderson, and Matt Persano, like the four captains, the four seniors that year, like it was unreal because like we all shared the load and, you know, we put a lot of work in like trying to help the younger guys and creating a culture of professionalism because I think that's when the, the, the team that year, that, that kind of junior to senior year, and not to disrespect any of the guys before, but I think that's when that team kind of transformed into like a majority of people that came to the program wanted to go pro. Whereas before you might've had maybe a handful of guys that seriously considered professional soccer. So I think having like guys like Kyrie, who is an extremely like, unbelievably talented player who might not be a vocal leader, but when you see young guys, and you watch Kyrie and you see him getting out to training early and you see guys like, oh man, like, you know, he's really good and I got to do what he's got to do. And then you see guys like myself, who I was a bit more of an, a vocal leader. Like I was like, I was more of the asshole, excuse my language. Like I was the guy that if someone did something wrong, like I'm going to let him know. But like I said, like we all, like our leadership group that year, like we all had, we all did stuff in a different way. Like Persano was more of the guy that was going to talk to someone and kind of, say, hey, like, you know, explain it to him. Brendan was the guy who was going to lead on the pitch. Like, everyone kind of did something different. So I, I can't say enough, like, the team around us, like, as a whole and the culture was just, like, next level. And I think, we, you know, we still talk about it to this day. But, I, you know, it was a great achievement. And, like, I'm happy what we did for the program. I just wish, you know, we could have done more earlier. But I'm glad that we were able to <clears throat> do that for the program, like, in our senior year and, and kind of achieve something that hadn't been achieved in a while. So yeah i mean it makes sense that you wouldn't have known too much about the history of the program because i mean why would you it's not like you were from the area the closest you've been i mean born in colorado springs but spent a lot of your childhood in england and actually that's kind of what i wanted to touch on even earlier in the conversation but there's so many other things to talk about yeah. but tell me a little bit about even before oregon state came on the map or actually you know how you learned about oregon state but even your adolescence where you were at each point in your childhood and where you were growing up take me through kind of your your history of your adolescent years both in soccer and, and outside of that just where you were growing up yeah um so I mean because so my uh I you know I've probably between the ages of like when I was born and up until I was like 16 like I would go I'd be you know I'd live in America for like three four or five years and I'd live somewhere in England three four five because my dad was in the Air Force so like that's why um that's why I was born in Colorado Springs at the Colorado the Air Force Academy and you know we would have to move with my dad you know I was an Air Force brat so you know I kind of had to go wherever he went and um yeah so I mean like being younger like when I when I first was born probably up until about the age of five like I, we moved to England and like that's how I really got into football kind of thing like because although I was born in the states and I moved straight to England like it was just you know that's the only thing kids played so like that's how I got into it and my mom's English and you know obviously she's mad about football and her family's mad about football so 
you know, my dad, like I tried different sports and stuff and I, you know, I did like boxing and my dad, I did track and my dad wanted me to play basketball and football, but I never, I don't know, I just never really got into it. I just loved soccer and stuff. So I, you know, played club and stuff over there. And then I moved back to Maryland and I played uh, club soccer, probably, I don't know, like, you know, like seven till about 11, 12, something like that. And like, even back then, like, Club soccer nowadays is a bit bigger in the States, but even then, like, it wasn't, it, there was no real avenues in terms of, like, because even, that was probably, like, 90, 99, maybe 2000. Like, there were, you know, the MLS wasn't really a league kind of thing, and there was no real avenues for American players, and it was just play club and kind of see what happens. And what had happened was, like, every year that I lived in, uh, in America, every summer I'd come back and I'd, we'd come visit my family in England. And I would go to like uh, their team over here, Colchester United. They're in League One now, I think League Two, so the third or fourth tier. And I would just go and go to their summer camp. And then um, I got scouted like the fourth or fifth year, and I got invited to come on trial to the academy. And then at that time too, like I was getting, um, I actually got a recruitment letter from UCLA, and I didn't really think anything of it at the time. So like. I, I didn't I didn't really know that much about college soccer to be honest with you I just was like oh like cool this team wants you know UCLA want to sign me or what they want me to be a recruit to go there blah blah and then I decided to go with the English path and kind of just go and live over there and play for Colchester and stuff and then I kind of bounced around academies there and then it was actually when I turned so in England uh it's not like in the states where you can go to college and go to school and play it's like if you're going to commit to to soccer in England, like that's it. So like, you know, fit like 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, when they, when you turn 18 in the academy, they, the club is like, all right, we're either going to give you a professional contract or not, but it's not like you go to school at the same time. So if you like don't get signed on your 18, like you have you really have nothing kind of thing. So like I kind of the few years before I was bouncing around academies and I never really signed and I just was like all right I'm gonna go to sixth form which is kind of like college prep and I was still playing at a decent level and stuff and playing for like county and getting scouted by some clubs but I was playing like non-league which is like pretty low down when I was like 16 playing against men so I was getting the absolute crap kicked out of me every week like just because I loved it and um I had a the reason I actually came back to America or got scouted by Oregon state was I had a buddy, like my best friend. He, um, we played soccer together in all the academies. Like we kind of lived in the same neighborhood, like down the street from each other. And he got told about this like a uh, company or scouting service called pass for soccer, where all the players that get let go of their exit trials, that's what they're called when you're 18 to get let go from a club they get all these ex players together, academy players that didn't sign a pro contract and they just play games. And then American college scouts come over and watch the games and they kind of like pick who they want. And so I was like, oh, I didn't really want to do it. And I didn't really know. And I was like, I can still make it in England, yada, yada. And he got, he went and did this service and then he got recruited by Fort Lewis in Colorado and he went to a D2 school and he ended up winning like a couple of national championships and stuff like that. And I was like, damn, all right, I want to do that now kind of thing. Cause he was telling me about, you know, college and American stuff. And so I did it. And then I, you know, I must've done really well and I was getting scouted or getting recruited, sorry, by like handfuls of, of American colleges, like Oregon state, uh, a lot of teams like in, uh, on the East coast, 
like North Carolina, like just places like that. And like, I didn't really know too much about it. And obviously you talk to different places, they're going to offer you different um, like uh, scholarships and levels of scholarship and all that stuff. So I, I didn't really know. I had no idea about the conferences, no idea about that. And then uh, the uh, Steve Simmons and Gary Hamill at the time were the Oregon State coaches. And they come out a couple of times to watch these like trial games. And then they actually flew out to like meet my family and they took my family out to dinner and stuff. And that's when I was like, all right, well, you know, these guys will put in the most work and stuff. And Corrales looks like a nice place. And that's when I actually decided for Oregon state. And then, um, yeah, the rest is history. So. Yeah. That's a crazy system. I mean, I'm glad that there's an organization like pass for soccer. Cause it seems to yeah. really find connects the schools that need good talent that maybe not be developed in America. And then the players who might be saying, well, what's next? And, Oh, okay. I can go play college soccer with the system that England has. And you're right. They're like college sports over there. It's nothing like over here. There's no NCAA equivalent really. So on one hand, like to be invested so much more in the sport where you're committed to it, you're doing that full-time for much younger age, a more professional style of, athletics over there on one hand could develop talent more quickly more fluidly and maybe that's good in that case but I, I would also wonder you know how much athletics can only last you until you're you know 30 35 if you're really lucky you know you play until then but at that point what's next you know what I mean and so you at least got a an exercise sports science degree I believe you graduated from OSU and you had that at the very least so I don't know if you can compare the system from America to England. They both have their pros and cons, but I wonder how much you've seen guys kind of get left out to dry once they're done with their playing career over there. Or maybe there's more to prepare them beyond just athletics, but how would you compare the two systems? Oh, no, I, I, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's kind of like, it's almost like, I think, and I mean, I keep saying it, it's about the culture because like football in, in England and all, it's just like, it's like basketball and, uh, football in, in the states like you have millions and millions of kids all they want to play is soccer they you know you like in the states you know you have people go the kids they go play pickup at the park they play basketball all the time they just go to the court they practice like you get these people like these you know westbrooks and lebrons that just that that's what they're born to do and it's the same in england like you have kids that will, like i would go and i'd kick around i'd leave school i'd finish school and i'd go home and i'd kick around until the lights came on and my mom would have to come find me. Like, and you have just millions of kids, like that's all they have. That's all they want to do. Like, so I think it's just the culture, like similarly to what basketball is in or football is in the States. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. Like, it's just, it's so ingrained in the culture over here that like, it's almost like the, you know, if, cause if you do make it professionally over here, like the financial gain is just ridiculous because the money is so much over here. Like if you're, even if you don't play Premier League, if you play championship below the Premier League, you're rich. You know what I mean? Like you're making so much money and you're still, you got to be a world-class player. So like, it's just, it's like that thing, like you said, like there, I, like I've known so many guys that have just been supremely talented, like so talented. And it's the same thing you hear, like the same tropes you hear about in like basketball and football. Like they hung around with the wrong guys. They dropped out of school too early. They, didn't take it serious you know it's like so talented that like once they don't get their shot because like you know at some point in, in any sport when you get to a certain level professionally or competitively it's not about your talent like you can be as good as you want but you have to be a good professional 
and you have to do the right things every day and you have to train right and all that stuff and there's so i mean like you know you could write an encyclopedia about players that are, are god-given talent that just didn't make it kind of thing so i think the english system is like it's sink or swim really because that's that's like the nfl over there but i think a lot more players now and i've had friends that come over to play in and you know do like college degrees and stuff i think a lot, lot more players that were my age in england now do a lot because there are a lot more companies like pastor soccer that do that stuff and i think they realize that like they can get a second chance and you know get an education and do all that kind of stuff so i think it's it's great because you know i think it's a i think it's a good path for if you know if you make it in england that's great like you you are in the prime country to do it but if you don't i think it's good to know that they know that you can come over and and get a degree and play at a good level in America kind of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's a weird path, but it's also good culturally, like as a person, because you get to experience England and you get to experience America kind of thing, like growing up in your, you know, teen years and early twenties and stuff. So. I feel like we could do a whole, you know, documentary conversation just on the difference of, of England, the English system to the <laughs> American system. But let's, let's close with how that relates to you in particular, because on the topic of, how you're set up for the next stage of life and what comes after soccer. You're 28 now, so you're pretty near. If you're not in the prime of your career, you're, you're very near it. Um, and so hopefully soccer can last you many more years and you'll be playing for a decade or more or however long you want to play. But whenever that does come to an end, you'll still be pretty young. And you did come to America, which in some ways may have set yourself up better, but who knows what the other timeline of your life would have been like. But, <laughs> you got your degree, you've got, you'll be married by that point, whenever your playing career ends, what is next for you? Not just in terms of what you'll do, what job you'll have. Although if you have an idea for that, you know, that's part of the question, but, but also who you're going to be, what, what type of person, what goals you have, how you want to impact your community. Um, what sort of things are in your mind and hopes and on the horizon for you whenever soccer ends for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a tough question because it's, you know, it's something that you think about, like you said, it's, it's, it's when you get closer to, you know, older or whatever, you kind of think about, okay, what's next? Like, I mean, like you said, I think it's, I've been lucky to be able to go through the career I've had, go to college, still go pro, play at a good level, like, you know, make good money and be able to kind of get married and stuff and have it and all this stuff. So I think it's, it's a tough question. I don't. I mean, who am I going to be? I don't think I'm going to change too much because like I'm a pretty stubborn person. But I think, like what we touched on earlier, like the stuff I've learned going through, like my career, is something that I think a lot of like lessons are, you know, they can transfer to any aspect of life with you know like work, like stuff I learned with soccer, they can transfer to work or like you know marriage and starting a family and the values and the lessons because it's like you know I've learned a lot of stuff that some people might have learned in like workplace that were tough like you know I've had some really low low points like in my life through soccer but I'm glad that I went through those because now you know if we you know when we have kids I know what it's going to be like if they if you know my kids are tough with something or they're struggling with something because it's like I've been there you know because I that's the last thing I want to do is I have kids and I don't know how to help them or I don't know how to guide them through something so I mean I'm thankful that it set me up that it's helped me to be able to help you know 
when I start my family and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, that's a tough question. You know, who I'm gonna be? Like I said, like I'm not gonna change. You guys, Gomez and Berto, I'm not gonna change too much. But uh, <laughs> like um, you know, it's it's just I I think I've set myself up with what I've done to be, I have options, you know, like I, I have the degree, I can go into coaching. I have, you know, my connections that I've made through the game, if I want to go that route kind of thing. So I think, you know, I, I feel pretty lucky and I'm blessed because there are a lot of athletes that do leave the game that they don't, they don't have a good option. I don't have a good route coming out. So I'm pretty lucky with that. And, um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't, obviously I would like to go back and say, like, Oh yeah, I would love to play the Premier League or La Liga or whatever but I've been I've, I've been happy with how it's gone so far and I'm just gonna keep riding the wave until it ends I suppose like so yeah I uh, hope you enjoy it and you've already had some some highlights and learned a lot it seems so that's off that's awesome uh one fun question before we close off Daniel Gomez who was a fantastic basketball player at OSU top 10 all time in block shots but he would freely admit basketball is not even close to being his favorite sport much more of a soccer fan now he's six foot ten the tallest soccer player I've ever heard of is six foot ten that's the tallest I've ever seen could he have been a good soccer player I don't know if he was a keeper or midfielder or what could could someone that tall do that or him in particular oh yeah yeah I think so I, I mean obviously it's it's rare and Gomez won't mind me saying this like he's he's not the fastest but like he's good he's <laughs> He's good, like, with his feet. Like, there's a, oh, there's a saying that always say, you know, oh, he's, he's got good feet for a big man because, you know, it's like he's got nice feet. He's got good control. Like, and I, I would regularly – it's funny because I was actually their IM team coach when <laughs> him and Joe, and Joe and all these guys played stuff. And to be fair, honestly, like, Gomez is a good player. Like, he could have played soccer if he would have, like, went through it for sure. Like, he probably could have played up front or something. Like, but Birdo, Birdo is one of the most talented athletes I've ever seen. Really? Like that guy coming up and he'll be good at it. Yeah. Golf, ping pong, tennis, anything. And he he loves soccer. And his favorite team is Bayern. But he like I remember watching him play for IM and he scored this header and it was just like it was like he played soccer his whole life kind of thing. But no, I mean like those two, like, they both love soccer. Gomez could have put in a soccer player, Berto could have been a soccer player for sure. Like it's just, you know, if they would have, if they would have started off early, for sure, Gomez yeah. and Bird. That's fun. That, that, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for talking for the podcast. I'll get this uploaded next week, I think. It'll be fun to have people here. So thanks for taking some time thanks. and talking about some fun memories. I love, I love just, like, talking about sports and stuff. And, um, yeah, shout out to Gomez for, uh, like, making it happen. I know he, he kind of was the mutual friend. But, yeah, thanks, man. It was, it was nice to meet you. And uh, you, like, got a good thing going here. So it was fun to talk about it. Well, I hope you had a fun time getting to know Will Seymour. Really cool guy just to chat with. And the conversation this time, more than most, just kind of flowed where a lot of the questions I asked weren't ones I had prepared. It was just kind of stuff that came up in the conversation of, oh, you brought up this topic regarding soccer or the nature of how players move from one team to the other. And that let's just follow that trajectory of the conversation rather than these other canned questions I had prepared. And I liked the nature of that discussion. Hope you enjoyed Uh, hearing from Will Seymour as well. If you haven't heard the Daniel Gomez episode, we talked about Daniel at the end. He was an Oregon State basketball player. His episode was uh, just a few ago, and he was really fun to talk to as well. His story of coming from Senegal to become an Oregon State basketball player, and he lives up in Portland now. So definitely check out that episode 
as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I've got a gymnastics and a women's basketball episode coming up soon, as well as some other guests I'm working on I think you'll like. So stay tuned to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Also want to mention today's nonprofit. Sometimes I mention them at the end because I know you're finishing up the episode. Maybe right now will be the time you have the opportunity to check them out. Food for the Hungry is one of my favorite charities I love to give a mention to. They do amazing work all over the world, providing empowerment, resources, not just throwing money at the problem when it comes to poverty, but actually using education and uplifting methods of getting people out of impoverished situations. So their website is fh.org. Again, that's fh.org. I'm your host on the Beaver Tales podcast. My name is Josh Warden. Until next time, I bid you good night and go Beavs. Go Beavs.